From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Innovators radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned thought leaders, founders, and game changers committed to ideas, innovation, and entrepreneurship well executed. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggle, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes purpose-driven entrepreneurs and game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by executive producer of Stanford Athletics, Beyond the Champions, radio show, and principal of Podfather Media, Tom Dioro. Today, we're, uh, I'm really excited and honored to be uh, interviewing uh, Stanford grad, Dror Berman, who co-founded Innovation Endeavors in 2010 with Eric Schmidt, former CEO and executive chairman of Google. Dror invests in early stage startups that are driving exponential rates of change in their industries, from agricultural and computational biology to fulfillment centers and satellites. He partners with creative thinkers and technologists who leverage data, compute, and advanced engineering. This is key to bring their visions to life. Feel free to visit their website at innovationendeavors.com, innovationendeavors.com. Hello, Dror. We're really honored and thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) Likewise. Now, Dror, you have a quote. Uh, As we like to start with a quote, a prayer, a mantra. Love to hear it, or your audience definitely would love to hear it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing that. I found this idea. I've done a bunch of podcasts, but I found the idea of starting with a quote uh, particularly creative and interesting. So one of my favorite quotes is this quote by Margaret Mead uh, that I'm guessing you may have heard in the past, but I, I keep thinking about it every once in a while. It's this quote that says, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world, because in fact, it is the only thing that ever has. And the reason I really like this quote is that... Uh, in my work over the last uh, decade or just over a decade, um, I've seen it over and over again. Uh, my work is to start working with entrepreneurs at the very, very early stages uh, where entrepreneurs don't look like Elon Musk. Uh, they don't look like Eric Schmidt at that stage. And nevertheless, uh, it's really a small group of visionaries uh, with amazing capabilities, but also amazing ability to grow that have this vision that can actually create those mission-driven companies that can bring amazing people to follow them. And over time, you start to see those incredible companies that get created. So over the last decade, if I look at the, a lot of the companies that got created, uh, uh, again, starting from very, very small and growing to become meaningful and transforming those industries, you know, we've been involved in companies like like uh, uh, Uber and SoFi and Planet and, and Astra and um, Icon Therapeutics. And so a lot of those companies really started small and they managed to grow and change those industries. So I, I keep going back to this quote and thinking about how amazing it is that I have this job, that I can get to know those people before they look like the, you know, the, the big people that we come after that and work with them and partner with them to, uh, to help catalyze those kind of companies. Juro, I'll ask you a question. It's a rather personal one, but do you think that level of entrepreneurship and to have an innovative mindset is something that can be instilled in people or is it something one is born with? I'm a big believer in growth mindset. Uh, I think that everything can be learned and, and trained. I think that uh, uh, particular entrepreneurship um, is, is something that people oftentimes um, underestimate, again, what they can do. 
uh, it's interesting. So I, I graduated from Stanford Business School and, and uh, I tend to interact a lot with Stanford entrepreneurs, so aspiring entrepreneurs. And um, I found something interesting uh, over time as we sort of meet more and more amazing students coming out of Stanford is that um, I, I truly believe that Stanford students are uniquely positioned to do big things in the world. Um, you know, this is one of the best places in the world to be an entrepreneur. There is um, <clears throat> amazing access to capital, to mentors, to talent, so all the things that you need to actually build a big company. And there is something interesting that I find sometimes is that um, it, Stanford tends to bring here a lot of people that have been very, very successful uh, in their lives up until that point in time. And maybe because of that, again, they have this unique opportunity to change the world coming out of Stanford, but also because they've never failed, some of them are more averse to taking risks because they don't want to fail. And so, you know, just maybe it's a good opportunity to say that, you know, I think this, maybe it's another quote, but, uh, but lack of fortune favors the bold, right? And I think being here uh, and taking those kind of risks, uh, the risk is actually not that high. It's okay to fail. And I think if you fail, if you, if you have a tenant cell phone and you fail after starting a company, that's okay. You'll probably land on your feet and start something new or do something else. Um, but I 100% think that uh, entrepreneurship could be, uh, could be taught or basically the idea of pushing yourself to the limits to start something new uh, the idea, by the way, that we can talk more about it, but that this is not necessarily getting struck by lightning and finding an idea, but there is a process you can go through to actually find the right idea to go after. Uh, and actually, several of my partners are teaching those kind of processes at, at school. Uh, it's, it's called research-driven ideation. There is a lot you can do to actually uh, make yourself uh, successful. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 100% believer that this could be done. Favors the bold. Can you touch upon that that boldness that is uh, actually a a requirement, a prerequisite once one does start their own endeavor? Yeah, this is um, this is not an easy journey, and um, I think being an entrepreneur uh, requires one to make a, a commitment for for several years, not only to pursue this um, this kind of endeavor themselves, but actually to convince and work with others and partner with others and and be their leader uh, for a long period of time. Um, <clears throat> so I don't think it's a small task. I think it's something that people need to be aware that um, building a company and, and maybe more importantly, building a team that would follow you requires you to to be bold, to be resilient over this period of time, to deal with things that you have never dealt with before, um, and constantly lean in and, and, um, you know, but if you can do that, uh, I think you have, especially coming out of here and living here, I think you have all the, all the ingredients to be successful. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, maybe one thing I can say about myself or, or about that is that, when I came to Stanford, I grew up in Israel in a very small town, you know, middle-income family. Um, I never thought I was destined to change the world. Um, I was, you know, I was following my own path. I served for a few years in special forces in Israel, um, studied computer science and bioinformatics in Israel, and ended up uh, being fortunate enough to come here to Stanford uh, to go to business school. Again, thinking that I wasn't destined to you know, change the world. I, I wanted to come out and do interesting things and then go back to Israel and live there. 
it's interesting because as I graduated from Stanford, I felt like not only did I have the capability to do big things in the world, to some extent, I had a responsibility to do that uh, because I could and because I was taking the place for maybe 10 or 20 other people that could have been instead of me. And so I came out maybe more bold and thinking that I, I could and I should do something with this opportunity. And with that opportunity, we'll segue into um, your company, Innovation Endeavors. How did uh, that begin? And if, uh, you know, what was the brainchild and the inspiration for, for, the, for your firm? So uh, I never thought I would be a VC, to be honest. So when I started, um, or that I would start my own VC firm, when I started, when I was at Stanford, I had the fortune to partner with Eric Schmidt, uh, was one of my professors. He's been teaching a class uh, together with Professor Peter Wendell um, and Professor Raymond Nasser uh, that touches on entrepreneurship and venture capital. And I was fortunate enough to take this class with Eric. And um, when I graduated, uh, Eric invited me to come and work with him. And we started brainstorming about different ideas and what was sort of the shared passion we could both pursue. One of the things that was uh, fascinating for me, and again, with the spirit of, you know, what what kind of legacy do I want to create and how do I, you know, use this opportunity to change the world? I was fascinated by the idea of solving big problems. I recognized at the time that if you look at some of the most important industries uh, that we had to, to address or the most important problems that we had to address over the next decades, we weren't moving quickly enough to actually solve them, right? And I guess the last few years have shown us that, you know, if you think about what we experienced uh, in COVID, and moving from a very slow pace of innovation in healthcare into a mode where we had to urgently come up with um, vaccines and therapeutics to a pandemic. Uh, and then we had to roll it, the population scale, the global population scale within a matter of, of months or, or very few years. Um, you know, similarly, living here in the area, we all feel this, um, the fires around us, right? It feels like it's getting closer and closing on us every year. And it's not just a Bay Area phenomena, right? This year it's been been very very bad in in around Washington State uh, around Seattle and you know Australia has been suffering for a long time um, so this is not going away so we've been feeling this uh, idea that we have to solve things faster and yet if you look at the pace of innovation the pace of technology development in all of those um, a lot of those markets relevant markets and and uh, coming up to sort of allowing to solve those problems it wasn't moving quickly enough um, you know we've it's great to create the next Snapchat or the next Facebook, but it's not going to solve those kind of problems. And so I was fascinated by that. And um, basically, in sort of in talking to Eric, we recognized that there was um, there was also there was also good news in that. Uh, we recognized that there was a, a set of technologies that were emerging and converging to allow us to actually change uh, the way we're thinking about building companies in those what we saw as sort of untouchable domains. Um, and so those technologies, and we can expand on that, uh, were mostly around the ability to sense and c collect data about the physical and biological world around us, to compute on all this data, so all around computation. And then the third part was around engineering and automation and the ability to now essentially write things back into the physical and biological world in a way that wasn't possible up until that point in time. And we recognize that if you converge all those technologies, you could now start companies that would be, or innovation cycles would be machine-driven rather than human-driven that would allow us to experiment at uh, maybe 1,000x the scale, but at one one thousand of the cost and time 
that we're used to up until that point in time. And if you start compounding that, we recognize that you could start create companies that move and innovate and grow in a nonlinear way. So that was um, uh, sort of the genesis of us thinking about this is this is coming. We could do all those things. We can create those kind of companies that will change those industries um, and bring technology into those domains. And we decided to start a firm that would allow us to do that. Uh, and so in 2010, we started, we founded Innovation Endeavors. And over the last, uh, just over a decade, we've, we've grown it, uh, to become a, a fairly significant firm. And I would say maybe one of the, the leaders in the domains that we are playing in. Uh, we've been very fortunate to work with amazing entrepreneurs. We've invested in over 150 companies in this period of time. Uh, and again, we've been fortunate to work with some of those, uh, those, uh, thought leaders and, and, and startup leaders that ended up changing the world and changing all of those industries that we cared about. Excellent. You're listening to The Innovator Show, KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Our guest uh, today is Dror Berman, co-founder of Innovation Endeavors. For more information, feel free to visit their website at innovationendeavors.com. That's innovationendeavors.com. Drawer, you talked about legacy. If share with us a bit, if you don't mind, a, a personal what what the legacy means to you personally, and then even as a uh, as an organization, what the legacy means as well. If you're at liberty to share, sure. I mean, for me, um, I see my legacy, and I'm still young, so you know, I think I still have a long way to Definitely. go, and hopefully, do other things as I so as I as I continue to to grow and evolve. Um, but what excites me and sort of in the legacy that I've been, uh, thinking about and, and attempting to create is this idea that we can, we can be these, um, <clears throat> editors in so many amazing stories. You know, I think as VCs, as investors, we are not the authors of those stories, but we get to be editors. We get to be catalysts in helping amazing people change the world. And so, um, that's been the exciting aspect for me in thinking about how do we become a partner of choice for those entrepreneurs? Uh, and maybe that leads me to, to your point on, uh, sorry, one second. Um, to, to your question about the, the, the firm legacy, um, we wanted to create something that would last for a very long time. Uh, so for me, ideally, we, innovation levels would last for a century or more, uh, and would, find itself to become uh, one of those partners of choice for entrepreneurs that are working in those domains that are trying to build mission-driven companies and change the world. Um, to do that, we've, um, we've thought deeply about what kind of culture we need to, to have, what kind of company do we want to build. Uh, when I started building this venture firm, I recognized that I wanted to build something else, uh, maybe inspired by my background in special forces. Uh, I didn't want to build a firm where partners would just come in and work on their own stuff uh, and then sort of go home, uh, which I think is oftentimes the case in sort of maybe in other venture firms. I wanted to create something that looked more like a, like a special forces team. I wanted to create something where we can come together to help solve uh, and help, help solve big problems by partnering with those entrepreneurs and essentially give them uh, the type of support they need. Now, I recognize that a lot of the companies we fund um, are different. They tend to be mission-driven. They tend to be more complicated in the sense that they are multidisciplinary. If you think about a company like Icon Therapeutics, it brings together uh, some of the best uh, mechanical engineers and some of the best mathematicians and physicists and 
um, and software engineers and biologists and chemists and so on. So those companies are amazing, but they're not easy. There is no there is no playbook that you can you can just you know pick up and read. And so it requires us to build a, a team that um, could support those kind of ambitious endeavors and could actually come together, recognize that us as a team also you know each of us would have different superpowers and we are much stronger together than than apart. So for me, uh, from a sort of more of a legacy of a, the venture firm I want to create, was more about uh, creating a culture that uh, would allow us to work amazingly well together as a team and support those people. Jure, again, another uh, a question for your audience to gauge who is what is the essence and who is the essence of, of Jure, at least on a, on a podcast called The Innovators. Why does that matter and mean so much to you? to work as a collaborative, collective team and work not just independently, but actually interdependently? Yeah, maybe I think about it in, in not about, it's, it's not just about um, why is it important for me? I think it's required. You know, it's maybe going back to this idea of oh. the quote you asked me in the beginning. It's the essence of uh, a small group of committed people that can come together to do big things. You know, I think that um, there's a lot of egos in this industry. Uh, and I think people tend to believe that, you know, because they've been successful, um, they could be smarter than others and so on. But I, I think at the end of the day, I think the role of a venture capital investors is to be an editor, is to help. Um, so that's number one. And then secondly, again, I think in working with uh, those companies that tend to be more and more complicated in trying to solve some really important problems for all of us, uh, there is no room for ego. We need to think about a collection of, of, of superpowers. You know, we need to think about you know, what does the, how do we create this sort of one plus one, one plus one plus one that, you know, would equal 10, right? Um, and that's, that's the, the, the essence is exciting for me is uh, the idea that, uh, we can all be stronger together. Uh, and every one of us bring a different piece into the, this equation. Um, and, because of that, we can partner with entrepreneurs and, and do that. So that's that's the reason it's been important for me. Maybe part of it is, um, again, related to my ex personal experience, which I think is maybe different than, than many of the uh, investors I know here, but I've seen it happening. I've seen that happening. I've, I've seen that working out in my um, in my experience in you know a very being part of a special forces team that uh, uh, did amazing things. This is back when I was uh, 18 to 21, when... You know, I didn't believe that people would give us such a, such responsibilities, but we could work. We managed to work together as a group of very young people and achieve extraordinary things. It sounds almost like a real, a very a, a spiritual mindset. Although it's mission driven, but there is a, a deeper core and a and a very high level of care. Am, am I incorrect? Or thank you. No, I appreciate it. I think you're correct. Yeah, it, it is. It sounds like a very beyond global view of each problem so you take a thirty thousand foot look and then you actually get in not just into the so-called trenches but you get on the street at the at the pebble at the dirt level which is a very rare combination usually one is very adept at the thirty thousand but not so adept at the the grain the granular the crawling level but it's it sounds like your organ i seen is just studying it is good at both which is very rare and what would you attribute that rare ability to have your feet on the ground but still your head's in the cloud and always know at what point how to how to um properly maneuver and have the proper timing of when to maneuver 
It's a good question. Um, first of all, I don't know if I'm as good as it as you as you um, as you just said it, and uh, and thank you for that. Um, you know, I think for me, it's just been authentic to myself. I, I I'm infinitely curious. I tend to like the idea of thinking about the future and try to bring the future closer to us now. So I think that brings it to more of a a top-down framework thinking about what are the what are the big opportunities and challenges that we need to solve. Uh, and I tend to think about it more as a second-order type of opportunities. You know, assuming everything will continue to happen as it is now, what are the next set of opportunities or challenges that will exist? You know, two to five years from now. So I think that's that's one aspect. And then from a bottom-up perspective, I tend to find that I thrive in talking to people much smarter than me, right? So it's we are not the ones that, again, we are not the authors, and we tend to be very good at finding people at the edge of the network that they're very, very smart and working with them to understand what they're doing and ideally finding those that actually want to build those companies and and just find ways to help them. Uh, I would say that what I found that we tend to be good at as, and sort of is very helpful in that is that we... we we then to create ways for us to connect the dots, essentially bring a lot of those smart people together. Uh, I think they all exist around us. I mean, everybody here in this area is, is very, very smart and very capable. Um, I think the day-to-day that we've created, that, that we all experience here, um, is sometimes too intense for people to actually come together authentically, to think together, to brainstorm, to come up with the right formulas to, to win. And so we've been, over the years, creating opportunities to do that. Uh, one of the maybe the flagship event that we do every year is uh, is an event called Curiosity Camp, and uh, Curiosity Camp was interesting. It was initially an experiment that became very successful. That um, you know, we we basically thought, what would happen if we could bring about 130, 140 of the smartest people we know? Those would be the scientists, entrepreneurs, the the business leaders, the, um, the government leaders, and so on together and create a space for them to think and, and actually get deep and get to know each other and get to know what each of them is working on. And so we found this camp that uh, uh, the main feature in the camp was that it did not have cell reception. So you could not be on your phone while you were there, uh, which was <laughs> which was by luck at the, at the time, but then became a very important feature in, in doing that because people all of a sudden had to disconnect from their phones and actually connect with each other. So you really couldn't escape to your day-to-day chores or the things that you had to do, all the, you know, jumping into emails or your LinkedIn or Facebook and so on. Um, what you would do, we found, is that you actually sit down and um, and talk to other people. And the second thing we created in it was this idea that this was not a conference. This was not something that we came to teach people anything. It was really an unconference. We, it was important for us to create something where people can come in and we, the only thing we ask everybody is that everybody needs to contribute. Everybody needs to create some kind of a talk or uh, a conversation where they uh, they share some of the things that are interesting for them, and and then they engage with other people in deep conversations about those topics. <clears throat> and that was pretty much it. You know, we didn't create too much, um, you know, too deep of a, a commitment to talk about a certain topic, or you know, we basically let people drive the event. And we found that this was an extraordinary way for people to actually, for for those future leaders to actually come together and think together and brainstorm. And we started seeing amazing outcomes coming out of it. I mean, we we would engage, people would engage in conversations about the 
the future of space travel and the future of quantum computing and you know what would um, how do we think about uh, living in a society uh, that has all these sort of technology around it so there was all those amazing conversations that were just uh, spontaneously occurring and I think in each camp we have just over 60 of those conversations and out of those we started to see people coming out with new ideas with different uh, methodologies of how to solve those kind of problems a lot of them would just share some of the problems they are they are running into in the day-to-day work. So we found, I think, that uh, we are not, it's not our job to solve all those problems, maybe to a point of being bottom-up. It's really about bringing a community of people that are way smarter than us that can actually work together to to help each other. Uh, and that's, I think, this this power of a community uh, over, over the last decade has worked really well for us and for our companies. Outstanding. This is the Innovators Podcast. We're talking today with Zror Berman, co-founder of Innovation Endeavors. Our public service announcement for uh, today's Zror show is with uh, Meet, meet meet.org. Meet's mission is to educate and empower tomorrow's most promising Palestinian and Israeli leaders to take action towards creating positive social and political impact in the Middle East for more than 17 years Meet students have been at the forefront of positive socioeconomic and political change for Israelis and Palestinians. Their success is a reflection of the principal goals. For more information, feel free to visit the website of meet.org. Again, that's meet.org. And we're talking today with Dror Berman of Innovation. We're talking today with Dror Berman with Innovation Endeavors. For more information, feel free to visit their website at innovationendeavors.com. That's innovationendeavors.com. Drawer, curiosity, grit. What do those mean to you? To me, it means that um, I look at curiosity as the maybe the precursor to, as, to, to, to innovation. I think one has to be curious to actually innovate. Uh, you have to continuously ask questions um, and you have to challenge, right? I think you asked me earlier about fixed versus gross mindset. I think curiosity is really the driver for a gross mindset. You know, you keep asking questions, you keep learning. Um, and personally for me, that's been, um, it's been my main driver in life, I would say. You know, even before coming here, I was always looking for things that would constantly allow, continuously allow me to learn. You know, I just wanted to, I, I didn't, I never had a, a five-year plan in my life. It was always about pushing myself into a place where I felt like I was, I was in continuously uh, steep learning curve driven by curiosity. So, so I think that's on curiosity. Uh, with regard to greed, um, this is something I spend a lot of my time uh, thinking about, both in the context of, um, you know, what, I do is hard. What people around me do is very, very hard. Um, and now as, as a father, I also have three kids and they grow up here in, in the Bay Area. And I always think about, you know, how do I, uh, I came up with a list of values that, uh, uh, that, that were important for me in, in, in raising them. And actually two of those values out of four were curiosity and, and resiliency, right? Or, or greed. Mm. Um, and I think it's one of those qualities that, is so important. Um, it just in, in ideally in, in basically helping one not only come with a vision, 
and thinking about what he could do or he or she could do, but actually pushing forward and walking, walking the path, uh, and getting hit in the face every day, but continuing to go. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, over time, maybe you find joy in, you know, as you, you understand that this is just, uh, this just setback, but it, it, it allows you to learn from it and sort of, and, and get better the next time. So I think every one of those, uh, experiences I've, I've had in the past, you know, whether it's in the military or in work life or in personal life, um, you know, I found that every one of those setbacks pushed me to become stronger and better. And so I, I welcome that. And at the same time, um, I think about, my kids growing up here, uh, and think about how do I instill those kind of values in a, in a maybe much more entitled, uh, environment. Excellent. Really happy to hear that. Is there anything you'd like to share, Jor, that we may not have touched on that you think is really valuable and important or even interesting to your audience today? Yes. I think we've touched on a lot of the, the important things. Uh, we've touched on the idea that this is the best place in the world to start a company. Um, and uh, I would say that sort of the idea that fortune favors the bold and thinking about how do we, uh, for every aspiring entrepreneur that is hearing us, whether they're from Stanford or from around the world, I think that this is, uh, you know, they have all they need to start a company, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, they, they should take that risk. Um, we talked about what kind of companies to start. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea of solving big problems, building mission driven companies. I think that you have much more, uh, chance of success if you actually build a mission-driven company. I mean, you find that there is a lot of amazing talent, maybe given the micro, um, micro climate today and thinking about how much talent is becoming available and they all want to work on really important big problems. It's a great time to start a company and uh, especially if you start a mission-driven company. Talked about uh, technology as a driver for that super evolution. That's, uh, you know, I think that uh, thinking about, and especially for, for folks here at Stanford, there is a lot of amazing technological talent uh, that can think about how do we, how do we apply the the work we we actually the research we are doing here into solving some of those problems. There's a lot of opportunities uh, around sensing computer engineering to solve them. And then maybe finally we haven't touched about it. Maybe we'll do it in the in the next episode. But uh, sure, I don't love to. I don't think that this is. Uh, I think that a lot of the classes at Stanford are touching on. Maybe the execution path, once you have actually decided to start an idea, there is classes like Startup Garage, and there are many, many classes uh, uh, like that. Most of them are starting at a point where it comes with an idea and they teach you how to actually get going. Um, and at the same time, I think a lot of, uh, when I talk to a lot of students here that end up not starting a company, they keep coming to the point that they couldn't find the right idea. Um, so I'm here to say that uh, uh, there is a process that one can take to actually find the right idea to work on. Uh, it's being taught at Stanford, and actually we at the, the Fairmont Innovation Devils have been working on productizing and sharing to, to in, with the purpose of sharing uh, this research-driven ideation process uh, with entrepreneurs. We we plan to share it with the world uh, uh, pretty soon, but the idea is that in general, if you want to start a company, um, you know, spend the time to think about what kind of uh, company you want to build, what kind of domain you want to uh, to innovate in, go and talk to some of the, the people at the edge of that network, um, and then come and talk to us. We would love to to learn more and he help you uh, do that. Excellent, Drew. It's been an absolute. It's a real honor and pleasure having you on our show today. I hope you consider coming back again real soon. Love to have you on. Really. Thank you so much, Tom. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Likewise, our guest today 
has been Drur Berman, co-founder of Innovation Endeavors. For more, for more information, you can visit innovationendeavors.com. That's innovationendeavors.com. You've been listening to the Innovators Podcast. It's recorded at KCSU Stanford University Studios and on location. Today, the recording engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Thank you for listening. The Innovators radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location. The audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos and chief engineer Mark Lawrence. And the executive producer of The Innovators is Tom Dioro.